everyone and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host Dr. Shadi Mancheri and today's episode is with the wonderful Dr. Aram Navai who is a specialist endodontist here in London and in today's episode Dr. Navai shares his journey with us to becoming a specialist endodontist and it's not a conventional journey there's been lots of different paths along the way for him and it's a very interesting story. We also talk about root canal treatments, why patients don't like them, why dentists don't like them, and why they generally get a bad press. I really, really hope you enjoyed this episode. And now without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Aram. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Hi Shadi, um, great thanks and thank you very much for having me on your podcast. It's uh, a pleasure it's to have you. Pleasure to be here, finally. <laughs> I know you've sacrificed a lot to be here this morning, but you know, we can talk about that later. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. All good, it's all good. Anything for you Shadi. <laughs> so could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you got here please? So I am a, well, as far as dentistry goes, a specialist in endodontics. Um, I'm also a clinical teacher at Guy's Hospital for King's College London. Um, How I got here goes back to 2002, when I started a biomedical science degree at King's College London um, for three years. And then I applied and got into dentistry. And I was fortunate to be part of the first cohort in the UK uh, for the at the time experimental four year dental program. So we were the first group of 30, which Kings was trialing to basically do a four year dental degree instead of five. So I got a letter literally uh, months before my start date saying, Congratulations, you got into the second year. So it was obviously. Very, very uh, exciting, and I saved the year there. So I, uh, I got into dentistry four years, qualified in two thousand nine, and um, then after that was VT year, which I did in the West Midlands in a very lovely practice in Stourport on Seven, a little friendly, sleepy town. And then after that, I came back to London for my, uh, at the time, SHO. I think they call it DC two now, um, and I did that in Maxfax. Uh, at Northwick Park Hospital. That was probably one of the most challenging, if not the most challenging year of my career. Uh, For the first six months or so, I was probably on BDSJ jobs half the time, (laughs) looking for practices to to, to think about quitting. But obviously I I kept at it. And the second six months became, you know, became very, very uh, both enjoyable and valuable. And I would say it's also probably one of the most valuable years of my career in terms of what I learned. Um, I'd strongly recommend it um, to whoever's uh, considering advancing their skills. Um, Anyway, uh, went back to practice for another four years. I always knew, I always had an interest in endo, but um, I said, you know, it's it's enough training and education. Let me go to practice. Let me see what the real world's like. And after four years in practice and different sort of uh, uh, thoughts about what to do. Um, you know, I, I did various things from short-term ortho to implants. Um, obviously, I was quite good at oral surgery. having done max facts. I was doing lots of sedation at the time. So, you know, the decision to specialize wasn't, you know, something that it was like, I definitely want to do this. I reconsidered the decision many times. And in the end, um, 
finally went back to my original interest, which was endo. And I applied for endo. Very, very fortunate to get in first time round. Um, got into uh, King's College. Four-year part-time program. Started that in 2015. Finished in 2019. And um, I was very, very fortunate again to be offered a clinical teacher job uh, straight away, pretty much. So I've been in that role now for three years. And again, it's a role that I enjoy very, very much. Um, I do that one day a week and the rest of my time is in practice, bishop's practice. You've done a lot in a relatively short space of time. You, I, I can tell you like studying and you definitely like King's College. Did you know from the beginning when you did your undergrad that you wanted to do dentistry? Uh, from when I did undergrad, actually, yeah, I mean, my um, initial thought was to do dentistry. And um, I was I was one of the ones who uh, didn't get it, basically. So, um, and uh, I, that's why I did biomedical science, reassessed the decision, and then decided to go back to dentistry. Yeah. You know, I think somehow that anyone who I've met that had some sort of a stumble along the way at the beginning is is much better for it is much stronger and they end up doing much more and achieving much more than than those of us who got in first time around so i think if anything <laughs> it's a it's a positive thing in the career i think yeah yeah i mean definitely you go in with a kind of more i don't know a mature mindset and you know you're you're more you've already been through a few years of uh undergraduate education and you're you're more you know what you want and you're more focused i think yeah yeah absolutely um, how did you decide endo? Because I, coming from somebody who does not enjoy endodontics at all, I can't remember the last time I did endo, and, I, and I'm very proud of that. I think it was a good five years ago <laughs> the last time I did endo. Um, how did you decide? <laughs> how did That's you decide? That's more for more for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, good question. Um, actually, I somehow developed an interest in uh, endo the first time. I did it in as an undergrad. So I remember it was a pretty complex case. I had a clinical teacher at the time who was very good. It was probably part of the inspiration for why I did it. And um, he kind of came and he was very precise and he brought the microscope over and, you know, he was bending these files. And I was like, you know, wow, this, this looks so complicated. And, you know, he looks so good. I want to be like him. <laughs> so, 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 so I kind of from there developed a bit of an interest. And actually, when I finished my undergrad, my thought was to become a specialist in endo for some reason. And um, then once after sort of qualifying, you know, doing my max facts, going into practice, and I have to say, sadly, um, the NHS endo actually put me off endo for a while, you know, the whole having to you know work with hand files and mm. sometimes no apex locator and you know things conditions which um, you know are, are now uh, sort of advocate should not be happening uh, where possible um, and anyway so so I kind of got put off that for a while but then eventually went back to the original uh, decision to to do endo the reason why I like endo is I've always uh, liked to look at things closely that's one thing you know even when I was doing general dentistry you'd always find me with my head basically in the patient's <laughs> mouth looking really closely <laughs> at whatever it is I'm doing so and obviously with endo you work you know on strictly with microscope and you know I really enjoy really seeing what I'm doing basically so that's that's one part of it um secondly obviously it always presents a challenge even now like I'm always I've always I'm always challenged it's not like you know as a general as a general practitioner to some extent 
um, I was feeling like I was plateauing a little bit and um, I didn't like it. Obviously, there's various routes for GDPs to you know, challenge themselves and advance as well. But for me, I, at that time, I felt like I was plateauing a bit and I like Endo because it's constantly challenging. And also it's got this sort of both uh, immediate and delayed gratification about it. So, you know, you do the case, you spend some time, work really hard and at the end you get to look at your beautiful white lines and you know we all love looking at our white lines we sit there and and marvel at uh, what we've done and then of course the delayed gratification comes when you bring patient the patient back for a review and you see you know some nice healing and we all that's what we live for <laughs> as endodontists we're pretty sad like that it's funny how some people find things interesting and others don't. I remember how you felt about the endodontist that you first saw. I felt like that about um, orthodontists. When I saw them, all orthodontists have this reputation for being very glamorous and being very, you know, clean and they do clean stuff. And I was like, I want to do ortho. But then I started hospital training and I was like, I, I don't think I can do this for a few more years. It, it was a lot for me. I really don't like the hospital environment. So I think it's just about having that initial interest and then being like, actually, can I see myself doing that and going yeah, through the training? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, the hospital environment uh, at the moment, I like it. I think guys, especially the endo department is lovely and I really enjoy being there. Um, but I have to say, um, you know, the hospital environment in general is not my preferred place either. And that's mainly because of the, multi-departmental uh and you know, the, the when you've got things in different departments working together it brings an element of disorganization to it and that really is something which i'm you know I, I i don't like i like things being very organized and in practice you know i'm in good control everything's organized in hospital you know quite often especially when i was doing max facts you know you've got a, so many departments working uh, with each other that there just ends up being an element of disorganization which really um yeah doesn't, doesn't agree with me yeah um, how was your Max Flax training? Because what you were saying about it being one of the most challenging things in your career, I feel exactly the same. And I was thrown in at the deep end being on call the first week and I hated it initially. But then when you look back now, it was one of the greatest thing I think we were allowed to do. Um, and it teaches you so much in so many ways, clinically and otherwise communication wise, it teaches you so much. How, how did you find the year? What was it like for you? I, I think uh, absolutely. It was, it was definitely uh, overall amazing. Um, but I'm, I'm the same as you. My first rotor was uh, on call. So I remember the third day in, um, I get a bleep from A&E. And I go to A&E and I, I go in and there's basically a 19-year-old girl, quite pretty, who was uh, giving blood. And, I love um, how these are the things that you noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, from so, five so, years so. ago, this is what I remember. <laughs> it was ten more than ten years ago. More well, than ten, even worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so anyway, she was she was giving blood and she fainted. The poor thing, and she uh, hit her head on the side of a table. So I go into the um, A and E room and she's sitting there with the gauze on her forehead. I'm like, hi, you know, I'm I'm so and so. How are you? You know, what's happened? Show me. So she takes this gauze off, and she's got a laceration on her forehead down to uh, her eyebrow, and I can literally see her frontal bone staring oh, at me. Did you faint? So I, I I saw that literally. <laughs> I, I I gulped, and I was like, um, give give me a second, I'll be back. So. I run outside, like hands shaking, pick up my phone, um, call the SBR. I'm like, uh, 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 there's, there's, this, there's this girl sitting and, and she's got, you know, she's got a laceration and I can see her frontal bone. He's like, uh, okay, uh, stitch it up, bye. Like puts the phone down. And I'm like, 
take another oh. few gulps, <laughs> take another few gulps, calm myself down, walk back in the room. I'm like, hi, um, can I have a look at that again? So she takes the gauze off. I look at it and I'm like, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> so I, I literally rented a department. I was like, this girl is, you know, she's a, she's young. She's good looking. She's got a life ahead of her. She wants to get married. I have never stitched anyone's face up in my life. I'm going to make it look like Frankenstein. I will not, I literally refuse to do it. But, you know, um, in, in hindsight was great because I would have literally made a complete mess. Um, so anyway, S, the SBR came down, did it for me. But fast forward to the end of the year, I was doing, you know, stitching up faces left, right and center, doing fantastic work. And it really, really brings into perspective, you know, as, as, as a dentist, I think it's quite important to do something like this because it makes you so confident when you go back to dentistry, you know, we're just dealing with teeth at the end of the day, you know, yeah. when you're, yeah. once you're there, like, you know, in major operations, cancer operations, trauma, stitching of facial vacillation, de- de- dealing with, you know, really, really life-threatening things, you know, it just makes you, makes you very confident. And it's kind of, it's kind of like being in the army, you know, it, it disciplines you and, you know, you come back to practice yeah. and you're just this, just this confident, disciplined uh, practitioner. And I highly recommend it to, to all uh, young dentists. Yeah, I agree. But my first, you're lucky. Your first call was on the third day. Mine was on the first like hour of me being on call. And I remember they were like, you have to come to A&E. There's again, a similar situation where a young girl had laceration on her nose. And I didn't know where A&E was. I didn't know how to stitch up faces because stitching up mucosa and skin is very, very different. Um, I didn't know what how to do the paperwork. I didn't know where all the equipment was. So it was a, it was a very steep learning curve. But by the end of it, I think I was really confident. And then when I went into practice, I remember there was, I had a patient who was very, very nice and we had a really good rapport going. And she had tripped over on the pavement and she had this cut on her face and she didn't want to go to A&E because, you know, she had to wait four hours and she came into practice. And I, 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 cut, I closed her laceration for her and I was so proud of it and she was so happy and she's like my favorite patient for life. So there's definitely skills that you gain that you can transfer to um to any any path that you take essentially within the career yeah absolutely well done definitely so yeah strongly strongly recommend going back to endo your favorite Mm -hmm. subject why (laughs) do we have such bad press for endo i mean dentists alone just being a general dentist we get bad press anyway but for endodontics, you know, there was that documentary root cause and every single patient that comes in, if you mention root canals, they suddenly get really scared and they, they've, they've heard all these horror stories from their friends and things, when in reality, it's a very good way of saving the tooth. And that's usually how we, we will try and change their mind about it. But why do you think we get so much bad press for endo in particular? I think I think this is a great question. This is quite a big question. It's, and I think there's a few different reasons. So... Number one, um, just the word root canal and nerves, you know, is enough to kind of make anyone scared. It's, it's just, you know, some, something which sparks fear in, in, in most people. You know, it sounds like something deep, something to do with nerves, and it just, it just uh, associates with pain. So that's one thing. Um, secondly, the media doesn't help because obviously in, I've seen you know, loads of series and films and everything and, you know, oh, wow, you're going to have a root canal. And, you know, it's just got this bad <laughs> reputation. But we need to think, why does it have this bad reputation? And if we go back, um, so root canal is number one associated with pain, usually because patients who need a root canal are in a lot of pain. So often people, even though the 
dentists may get them out of pain, associate that whole episode with a severe toothache. And psychologically, they kind of attach that severe pain with root canal. And, it, mm-hmm. and you know, it, 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 you know, they say, oh, you know, I had such bad pain. You know, I went and had a root canal. So that's one thing. The other thing is that, unfortunately, you know, root, I mean, well, root canal is a very complex treatment anyway in dentistry. It's probably one of, if not the most complex treatment in dentistry. And it's not easy to be good at it. So a lot of the times, um, dentists, when they do root canals, um, they either, for example, may not anesthetize the patient properly. So many patients that I see do report having very painful root canal treatments. And also, um, being a technically challenging procedure, it stresses out a lot of dentists. So, and, you know, patients, I always say, you know, whenever I treat my patients, I'm always super relaxed. I've got my music on, you know, and obviously this is something that I do all the time. So I can be like that. Um, patients feel when the dentist is stressed mm. and, you know, this is, this is, it goes, it goes all across the board, not just, not just to do with endo, you know, patients feel they come in the room, you know, if you're rushed, if you're stressed, they feel it. And quite often when dentists are doing root canals, they get stressed because it's hard and, you know, they're, might not be good at doing it so this whole stressful event uh, basically creates this bad experience and the whole attachment of pain to the thing and you know that's why it's got a bad press in that regard and you know i you know doing this all the time see patients come through my door on a weekly basis you know many times with you know different stories oh yeah i had a root canal it was terrible or my friend had a root canal and it was terrible mm-hmm. and part of my role is to basically reassure them very very calmly this is probably going to be one of the most comfortable, if not the most comfortable dental treatment that they ever had. And, you know, they're shocked when I say this, they're like, what? Like, and I'm like, yeah, most, you know, a good portion of my patients fall asleep while I'm treating them. And they're like, you're, you're lying. It's impossible. And, you know, this is one of my big pleasures to have patients that come in and see me for consultations um, in that way, you know, very nervous, very anxious. And I reassure them, coax them, manage to get them to come back and see me for treatment. And at the end, they're like, wow, you know, I can't believe this, you know? So, so it doesn't have to be that way, but yeah, indeed it does have a bad reputation. The other thing you mentioned, um, in terms Mm -hmm. of the root cause documentary. So this is a whole different thing. So unfortunately there's been a couple of, uh, bad studies out there and, um, the bad studies are basically association studies. What association studies are, um, you can take any two factors. So for example, we can say, let's see, um, Take people who've, I don't know, got um, diabetes and who've uh, been on um, Teeth and Tails podcast. And let's, let's, let's see like what portion of the people who've been on Teeth and Tails podcast have diabetes. And if we find like, you know, I don't know, like 20% of them have diabetes, you could say being on Teeth and Tails podcast has a 20% risk of being diabetic. Or the other way around. I mean, that it's, wouldn't it's, be too far off because I'll be seeing <laughs> Harry Brace probably. <laughs> there you go. So no, but I'm I'm just using so or you know, for example, people who eat McDonald's and you know become depressed, or you know, people who have any anything. You just take two. So these mm. studies, basically, those those there's a couple of them. One was to do with people who've they looked at cadavers of people who've died of cancer, and um, checked their dental records to see how many of them have had root canal treatment and they found that 97 percent of the people who died of cancer in the study had had root canal treatment so they said basically they published that data saying that you know 97 percent of 
people with root canals have cancer. So <laughs> it's it's completely it it's completely yeah. it doesn't make sense. It's completely rubbish. But obviously the data, you know, is like it's there. Like you know, ninety seven percent of the people who die of cancer have root canals. But root canal treatment is one of the most complex dental treatment. Sorry, one of the most common dental treatments. And anyone who dies of cancer is typically old. They're very likely to have had root canal treatment. So in reality, it means absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. But that mm -hmm. data is out there. Another one, there's another very similar study done with depression and root canals. And again, the whole sort of, you know, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bunch of people who pick up this data and run with it. And it's very, very dangerous because these studies really, in reality, mean nothing in the scientific community. They're laughed at. And, and, and in, in reality, there's no, you know, the, the, the association between root canal disease and systemic health is being heavily researched. We've actually got a clinical trial going on at the moment at King's. Uh, led by Asadi Aniazi, who's who's you know really looking at these things and doing well well conducted studies, and there are some associations, for example, with um, any uh, sort of infective condition that raises inflammatory markers. So that being root canal treatment, uh, sorry, uh, infected teeth, not root canal treatment. So let's make this clear as well. We're talking about infected teeth. A successful root canal treatment will treat infected teeth, and actually the data is showing that that completely uh, brings down the inflammatory markers and, and reduces any sort of health association. Um, infected teeth and infected gums have been shown to have associations with particular diseases like heart disease. And heart disease is, um, you know, a multifactorial disease, you know, drinking, stress, age, mm. uh, weight, uh, you know, loads of things contribute to it. So, you know, it's just a contributory factor. But again, unfortunately, there's a band of people who take this data, amplify it, run with it. And if you look at, look deep into what they promote, quite often they're promoting to take the teeth out and have them replaced with, in the holy grail is apparently now these, um, the zirconia ceramic implants. But again, if you look at the data with those implants, you know, they're showing lots of peri-implantitis peri and they're definitely not the holy grail of, uh, of, of mm. any tooth that gets infected. So, you know, people have to be very careful. This is a really dangerous area. And again, I can talk, I'm not going to keep talking about it now. I can talk on, on for hours on this topic. As, as you can see, I'm quite passionate about it because it really, really uh, is upsetting uh, that some people are manipulating this information and misleading the public. So... I think Netflix needs to come to you to make a documentary about why these canals <laughs> are okay and it's okay to have them. Netflix, I'm ready. I'm here. You know what to find me. <laughs> so going back to something a little bit less scientific, I want to talk yeah. about uh, your social media use because we've talked about this before and that you don't think you're a very social media kind of inclined person. You don't you don't love TikToks as much as the next person like me. But <laughs> especially the practice that we know you're working is very social media present and savvy. So how did you, how did you start with your social media page and what has it done for you? Has it actually brought you patience or more recognition within the within the profession? You know what? So before um having my sort of dental social media account, I really had I really wasn't involved in social media at all. I've never had a Facebook account, for example. And um, the my whole social media journey started with uh, you know working with uh, this this practice so Chelsea and obviously Rona, um, also uh, my other colleague Krina who I work with as well is quite big on Instagram and these they both kind of taught me you know you need to you need to have a, some sort of social media to promote yourself and promote your work so they kind of twisted my arm let's say into into opening an account um, and. To be honest, I think social media is a fantastic tool. And that really um, became apparent to me from working in Chelsea and seeing what 
Rona did to the practice in such a short space of time. I joined that clinic uh, just before she bought it and I saw how it got transformed. And, you know, she's obviously, yeah, she attributes a large portion of her success to, to social media. And I think it's fantastic. It's a fantastic way for clinicians to promote themselves. Now, again, I'm not so social media savvy myself, but I do, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best poster, but I think it's a fantastic, you know, for me as a specialist, it kind of acts as a, um, as a por portfolio. It's like an online mm -hmm. portfolio of your work to showcase your work to whoever's interested really. And also to educate, um, you know, I try and post cases which are, you know, educational um, and have some sort of value to anyone who, who looks at them. So I think it's a great way to both teach, promote, um, and I should definitely do more of it. Now, TikTok, I'm not too sure about. <laughs> um, I, I still need to be convinced on that one. I'm not a big fan. Um, again, they've made me do a couple of clips here and there, but it's not really my thing, to be honest with you. But I'm a team player. So, you know, if they if the team needs me to do something, I'll, I'll do it. Um, but yeah, I think overall, great way to promote. Um, and me personally, um, I have... I'm, I have had a couple of patient inquiries on it. I wouldn't say it's the biggest way um, that um, I, I get patients, um, but yeah, I've have had a couple of inquiries from it and uh, some which have materialized. I've seen you feature in lots of reels from Chelsea and I think you're being very humble. I think you have a future in TikTok and reels. I think it just <laughs> needs a little bit more practice, maybe a little bit more. That's all. Oh dear, oh dear. I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's going to need a lot of convincing. Let's see. Watch, watch this okay. space. You're, bu you're busy doing important stuff, saving teeth. It's fine. It's fine. You don't need to do reels. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Let's, let's see how we go with that. So going through all of this that you've done, because you've done a lot in, you've done a lot of education, you've done a lot of you know, working different places until you figured out what you like and what your niche is. And I like, I quite like the fact that you went into general practice before you decided to specialize, because I think a lot of, you know, prospective dental students from the age of like 14, 15, they go into dentistry thinking they want to be an orthodontist or an oral surgeon. And I don't think that's the right attitude to have, because unless you've started working and you know what you like and what you don't like, unless you've seen the reality of it, you can't really make an informed decision for something that you're going to be doing for the rest of your professional life. So I think the way you've gone about it is, is the correct way in the way that I would ad advocate and advise people to go about it. But what would be your advice to young students um, or even dentists who've recently qualified who are trying to figure out what they want to do and, you know, trying to pick what they want from all these options that they have? I would say um, definitely take your time to make your decision. As you say, it's it's going to be you know the the most one of the most important decisions you make in your life. So uh, whether it's applying to dentistry. So when I was deciding uh, what to do, um, I went and observed in a pharmacy. I went and observed um, in the research labs in Imperial. I went and observed the GP um, and the dentist, of course. So, you know, I spent time really sort of watching them work, asking lots of questions, and you know, trying to decide if that's what I want to do. Um, as for recently qualified dentists, again, absolutely, I think it's very important not to rush into these things because of uh, number one. Again, taking time to make sure it's the right decision for you. And number two, actually, I think it's very important for dentists to gain some general practice experience before going into specialization. You get a lot of dentists which kind of run into specialist training. And, you know, it's being a good specialist, really good specialist. You should be a really good dentist first, in my opinion. 
Um, and, you know, specialist training gives you a lot of valuable skills, but it doesn't give you all the general skills which you can get from being in general practice. And I think that's really, really valuable for me personally. Um, if I would have gone back, I would have done exactly the same thing. I would have spent my time in general practice and, uh, and then gone for specialist training. Um, so yeah, I would strongly advise anyone who's doing it, take some time, you know, contact a few specialists like myself. I'm always, I've had people contact me, quite a few people to come and sort of observe me in practice. And I'm always very, very happy and, uh, you know, welcome anyone to do that. And I think that's very, very important. If you're considering doing a particular specialty, go and shadow a specialist, you know, ask as many questions as you want, and, you know, go, go to, go to the department in the, in, in, where you're thinking of specializing the hospital department observe there you know people are people are really you know we're, we're quite welcoming of uh, anyone who has um, interest so spend some time in various departments with various specialists and uh, make sure you make a decision that is going to you know it's gonna you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life so spend some time yeah. making the right decision yeah. yeah and i think it's don't uh, don't discount the value of work experience after you've qualified if anything i think you learn more as a qualified dentist watching how other people do things and learning about what you like and what you don't like so i think definitely some very good advice there thank you very much absolutely perfect thank you so much for joining us today aram it's been such an insightful chat we've gone through everything and there's so much more and definitely netflix will be contacting you soon i'm sure Shadi, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure speaking to you. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be waiting for Netflix to contact me after this. <laughs>